Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. This podcast brought to you by MNP features Chris Duncan, our national leader of forestry and forest product services. MNP, wherever business takes you. Welcome to another episode of the CFI podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Elson, editor of Canadian Forest Industries magazine. Thanks for tuning in. We have Chris Duncan today, the national leader of forestry and forest product services at MNP. And we'll be taking a look back at the forest industry in 2022 and going over some of the big changes that took place or were announced this year, the trends for the lumber market, the challenges and opportunities for the industry in the coming year and more. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. Um, We've been reading about the different post-COVID-19 landscape for the forest industry. People are saying global trends are totally different from previous cycles. So was this the case for the Canadian industry in 2022 and what factors came into play to drive Canadian market trends all throughout the year? For sure. So, I mean, coming into 2022, everyone was predicting um, that the markets were going to be more sane compared to what we'd all seen in 2021. Uh, 2021 was unprecedented. But what Canadian softwood producers actually saw were um, prices and demand uh, picked up a little bit more in the spring, which is, it is quite uh, uh, normal in that aspect, um, given the building cycle in Canada and, and our long cold winters that uh, we're all, we all generally experience. Um, but it peaked in the tail end of quarter two. Um, and what it really was doing was it was playing catch up um, from the demand that had come on online. Um, and basically all of quarter one was just playing catch up to the demand uh, of the market. Um, the tail end of quarter two saw some price um, and demand decreases, and it actually happened fairly quickly. And then essentially, the, it's more or less leveled out um, for the rest of the year. A lot of the big factors that uh, were driving this was the increased early demand uh, due to severe weather events that happened at the tail end of 2021. Um, BC, which is a probably the, is the largest producer of softwood in Canada, had had uh, severe flooding, which logistically had caused uh, issues with rail and getting products to market. The other thing that also happened was with the relaxing of COVID restrictions across various provinces um, and in, increased travel. So people changed their focus and the, the renovation market slowed down a little bit because people were putting their dollars into travel rather than into their homes. The other thing that happened was the Bank of Canada interest rate hikes. Um, it, it started causing some softening in the real estate market. Um, with the with the increase in rates, uh, the kind of entry level market became a lot more uh, difficult for, for entry and, and it became a, an access to, to entry into the real estate market. And a lot of uh, builders and developers also saw that. What has happened as a result is the most Western producers have seen curtailments uh, over the fall and into winter of 2022. 
and uh, we'll continue to see that into into the spring. So it's uh, it wasn't necessarily the the year that everyone expected it was going to be, but uh, it definitely wasn't a 2021 year with the up, ups and downs that 2021 brought us. Right. Now, it's interesting. You mentioned that people slowed down on renovations because they were uh, putting money on travel. And I've read that realtors are also noting the ever-changing trends in home buying and home construction. So it results to the volatility in lumber demand and prices, making it harder for analysts and economists to do their forecasts on where the prices are going. So do we see more stability in the near future? Well, for 2023, at this point, many of the economists are predicting uh, a, bleak, a bleak year. I, I wouldn't want to be an economist right now. The, the crystal ball that they stare into is probably the most blurred that it's been in, in a long time. Um, the price corrections across the market are continued to be expected uh, for 2023. And the, the, one of the big factors is driving real estate right now is the higher than expected Bank of Canada increases on, on lending rates. We all expected increases in the rates, but no one could ever foresee uh, the, the rate increases that were required to help STEMI inflation that, that we saw throughout the course of 2022. The, the lending rates have cooled off many of the high cost markets. So BC is, is a market that, that we've seen uh, some significant cooling down in as, as well as uh, some of the markets uh, back east. What's happening right now is the interest rates are limiting developers and builders as far as what they're doing to, to move forward on projects where in the past with our low lending rates that we'd seen for the last number of years, uh, developers could produce uh, lower, higher cost, lower profitable projects and still be profitable on them given interest and in borrowing was so cheap. Now that we've seen an increase in, in the borrowing rates, a lot of those projects that were marginally profitable have been put on, on hold and that, in turn decreases the demand for lumber when uh, the houses all start getting built on those developments. So um, we're gonna continue to see that through through 2023 and uh, we'll see what happens with interest rates come from the new year. Mm -hmm. So with all these challenges you mentioned, inflation, um, interest rate increases, then we have to unfortunately deal with wildfires across Canada, especially in the West. So do we know how big the impact of the wildfires was on the industry this year? Yeah, so I mean, the, the wildfire situation this year, at least in Western Canada, was pretty typical um, as far as a, a typical year. We'd seen 2021 as being one of the one of the worst years on record and then uh back in 2017 was also a, a really bad year we'd, we'd kind of been stemmied for a number of years with some uh very very uh large amount of fiber being burned in wildfires over the summer and uh and heat waves so uh in in the west it was fairly typical However, the situation in the East was uh, quite different. So the Atlantic provinces this year, uh, especially Newfoundland, had a, a very unusual uh, fire wildfire season. 
There was actually a point in time where states of emergency had to be declared uh, in, in central Newfoundland <clears throat> because of the fires and, and the proximity to, to, um, to places where folks actually live. The, in BC, the season started out pretty slow. Uh, the, the spring and into early summer was a wet, cooler weather trend than, than normal. But it actually, you know, by the time August came, things had dried up pretty quickly. And fire season in uh, BC and in some parts actually lasted till uh, well into October, which is quite unheard of. Had a lot of impact on production in, in, uh, in areas as well given that fire risk was uh, quite high in October still when uh, sometimes uh, a lot of contractors would be battling snow by that point in time. So, and then in the North, the, the Northwest territories had some fairly large fires this year, but um, given the, the, the small population in the Northern territories, quite often their, their, their sort of a uh, route of attack is to, to let things burn. And unless it threatens infrastructure or, or um, public safety, they'll uh, kind of let it burn. So there was a, a few uh, large fires up in that area as well. So um, overall, I would say the West was a fairly, uh, we'll call it a good wildfire season if, uh, if there were still a number of fires, but nothing uh, that we'd seen in the last few years. And, and out east, definitely a worse than the normal season. So um, I think okay. going forward, that's going to be the trend is we're seeing such unusual weather patterns across Canada okay. that uh, wildfire is going to be one of those things that we as a, as a nation um, and as an industry have to learn how do we deal with the, the wildfire situation coming into, into what we've seen in the last few years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you mentioned the East was really pounded by natural disasters, wildfires specifically, but also this year, there were a couple of hurricanes and um, severe storms in, Atlant in the Atlantic provinces, and it resulted in damages to woodlots and some production curtailments. So can you tell us how big of an impact this had on, on, our, on the Canadian forest industry? For sure. So, I mean, the the kind of the story is, is in 2021, the West got beat up with wildfires and, and uh, severe weather events in, in the fall with flooding. Uh, the story of 2022 is is the, the East got it this year. So we just mentioned wildfires in Newfoundland. Nova Scotia's turn was when uh, Fiona and another, uh, uh, quite a few other storms came through. But Fiona is really the, 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 the one that's... Uh, most folks will have heard about hitting the news. So the damage that Fiona caused to woodlots and, and throughout Nova Scotia was immense. Um, woodlot owners saw millions of dollars of damage um, in trees, uh, in forest management plans that have to be revised given the fact that um, now all their trees are sitting on the ground uh, there's years and years of loss growing in a single event. And that in a province where there's 30,000 private woodlot owners, this, is, this was a pretty big event. Um, we did see the, the government of Nova Scotia step forward with a, a program to help uh, recover. And it's, a, it's about a four and a half million dollar recovery fund that they've put together that Three and a half million of that is available to woodlot owners to help 
either harvest wood that's down or or revise plans after the fact given the the damages that have um, happened um, after fiona the interesting thing was was there's a number of uh folks that started noting different trends given what the consistency of the plantings and species were um, in woodlots and i think it's going to change the way that management and and programs for woodlots in the east kind of run out what was noticed was a lot of woodlots that were single species especially a lot of the um, pine balsam and fir uh, saw log woodlots um, they they saw a lot more damage than some of the mixed plant uh, mixed species plantings um, other woodlot owners had so and the other thing noted was woodlots that had a more intensive management program with thinning and and things like that also weathered the storm better so uh, overall I think uh, folks are going to step back and uh, probably going to be redoing or figuring out you know how how do they manage woodlots going forward given that uh, Fiona's was the first one but it's probably not going to be the last one that comes through so so such big impacts then so talking about impacts what about the other issues affecting our industry like fiber supply Chris you are located in BC can you Talk a bit about the situation in BC and the old growth deferral. So how did it impact the industry this year? For sure. So, I mean, if we're to look back as far as the industry goes and, and everybody involved in the industry can't, would likely argue the same thing that one of the largest uh, keys to success for the industry over the next 10 years is going to be fiber and securing a source of fiber, making sure that you, you have that long-term fiber. No one's going to invest in a market if the fiber is uncertain. What the old growth deferrals have caused is uncertainty in BC. So we see contractor a contractor base that is very hesitant to uh, spend their profits in recapitalizing with new equipment, especially if they're a contractor that's uh, focused on the old growth harvesting side of BC. We see licensees that um, continue to invest outside of British Columbia and uh, talking to, to some of the smaller private forced owners and mill owners, uh, they're, they're concerned about fiber and if they're going to have enough to continue on in in the future so what what the old growth deferrals have essentially done is cut out a, a chunk of that fiber basket in bc and and create a lot of uncertainty so i think moving forward uh bc really needs to get a plan that they can stand behind proudly and defend on into the future so um and this still might mean that there will be old growth harvesting in bc but it has to be in a method that BC as a province, our politicians in Victoria, um, industry, key stakeholders in industry, that we can all stand back proudly and say, you know what, we have a very sustainable harvest. Yes, we do harvest old growth, but it's done in, in the sustainable method and, and the numbers don't lie. And I think that's the biggest battle that, um, that BC has as far as fiber goes in the future, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all these uncertainties and fiber supply, we see the effects. So towards the end of the year, so many sawmills, uh, some in BC or a lot in BC have announced temporary curtailments and some even announced permanent 
shutdowns of machines. So is this just a seasonal cycle or are we going to see more of this in the next year? So, I mean, I'm not not 100% if it will be in the next year, but in the future, Mm -hmm. given the bleak predictions that a lot of the economists are coming out as far as softwood prices in into 2023, some of the fiber constraints that certain areas of British Columbia are are now facing, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see more of this. The the interior of British Columbia is probably if I had to bet where we're going to see it is is going to be the the focus and it's going to be some of those uh, areas that were more affected by mountain pine beetle. Um, The harvest is declining significantly in those in those um, areas as we've seen the the AACs adjusted in in various timber supply areas and that's only going to continue moving forward given some of the wildfire stuff that's happened over the last five years. The mountain pine beetle uh, wood has kind of reached its shelf life in many areas. And so there's a there's a constraint on fiber. And uh, if I had to put a bet on it, um, I, I would not be shocked to see some of the smaller uh, town uh, interior of BC mills um, curtailing or even possibly um, having permanent shutdowns. So since we're already discussing this bleak predictions, we might as well cover the other issues that our industry has been dealing with, such as logistic issues, um, labor shortage, labor strikes, etc. Can you tell us how companies have been affected and dealing with it? For sure. I mean, <clears throat> I think one of the, the big things that continues on and, and has been a, a present for the last couple of years is log- like the logistics is still such a challenge in Canada. Um, Mills struggle with getting rail cars even, struggle with getting trucks to transport their products to the market. Uh, what we've seen happening as a result is as many have gone out and, and purchased their own uh, rail cars, purchased their own trucks to start trucking their product to markets. And what we got to realize is these companies aren't logistics companies, they're sawmill companies. They sometimes struggle with, you know, their trucking arms all of a sudden, the fact that they have to truck lumber to the other side of the country and they've, they've never done this before. So it's been some challenges. When I talk to folks in the industry, labor is likely the number one issue that still comes up these days. And I mean, the forest industry is not isolated in this, that Honestly, every industry across Canada, and I, I even step back and say North America, has a constraint on on labor these days. Like forestry is no exception. Lots of companies are trying to bring in new ideas, and new blood to the industry is something that we we need to see. We need to continue to see, and businesses are trying different and unusual ways to attract talent to the industry, Uh, training programs, owner incentive, stock option bonuses, and and many different other hiring incentives to to bring talent in. But new entrance in in the market and in the industry is still such a struggle. On on the sawmill and uh, manufacturing side, uh, we see struggle bring that talent in because it's competing against other manufacturing outside of the forest industry, competing with the, the oil in, and gas industry. 
for contractors, it's even more difficult um, to train people. It's very hard to take someone who has never been on a piece of equipment before and you slam them on a million dollar piece of equipment, they have zero experience. It's, it's very scary to the contractor owners and uh, it, it can sometimes end in a very costly experience at, at the end of the day. So I know there's lots of folks trying to lobby for training programs from government, um, things like that looking more at maybe a traditional similar to the trades seeing some sort of a sort of apprenticeship type program where there's a, a schooling component as well as a, a, a real world training and um, that there's incentive for both the employer and the uh, employees through government grants and fundings and things like that. Uh, BC has been looking at that for for a number of years, and to get that that new blood in the contractor side, we need we need more help in that aspect for sure. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree. Staff shortage has been a consistent, a persistent topic in industry events that I've attended all throughout the year, right? And the the problem of labor shortage it has gone from seasonal to an all-year-round problem. So, yeah, we are looking forward to, you know, a solution to that hopefully in the next year. Now, another issue that our industry deals with all year is our environmental issues, right? So this year, our industry participated in the UN Climate Change Conference, the COP27 in Egypt, as well as the UN Biodiversity Summit, COP15 in Montreal this year. So it's been a challenge. And in fact, just recently, the industry had to deal with what the FPAC called deliberately misleading attacks, quote unquote, from US-based organizations comparing the Canadian forest industries to the oil science industry. So in your opinion, what can we do more to highlight the positive contributions of the forest industry? I've, I've said it before, and I'm gonna say it again, but uh, the industry as a whole, needs to invest more in its image. So what the industry is facing is it's an image crisis. And the the industry has been relatively quiet on, on the front as far as it's an industry that most urban Canadians never see. The, the closest they ever get to seeing the harvest cycle is the two by four that they pick up at the Home Depot in, at their local Home Depot. It's only the, you get out into the rural side of things that, you know, people might see a logging truck going down the highway or something like that. Very rarely does anybody ever get to see a cut block unless it's on the side of a mountain a great distance away. I think the industry had to really fight its public image in the, in the early 1990s. And then it's kind of gone silent. There was other bigger fish for, for the public to be concerned about and, and, the forest industry kind of just ran silent for, for a good number of years. It's, it's back in the forefront again of, of public uh, opinion. And, and the, the biggest thing is the misinformation that's out there. And the industry's got to do more to fight that uh, misinformation with real stats and, and information backed up by the right, the right professionals. The other thing I think the industry really struggles with a lot of the time is the instant response to the industry when it's, trying to counter environmental concerns and things like that is the is the jobs angle you know this industry 
gives this much back to the community and it it, it employs 20% of this local small community. But, and, and we always drop to that. That's the first defense I always hear from folks when we're talking about the environment and, and the impact that the, the forest industry has on it. I think the public's tired of hearing that. Like it's, it doesn't go that far in public opinion anymore. And I think instead, like as an industry, we have to change the, our, our angle of approach. And it, it starts early. It starts with educating folks at a very young age, as far as how, how the sustainability of force products works and getting into the urban centers and the rural centers and, and teaching at that, that school level. I, I can remember myself in BC when I was in elementary school, we had a, we had a program that taught us about force and taught us about forestry activities in the forest and talked to us about the impact of wildfires on forests and, and a number of things like that. And, and I think that's the key is that by doing that, you're, you're fighting that misinformation that, that hits out there. And, and given the, the era of social media, everybody loves to eat up misinformation. It, it's so easy to do. Overall, we need to be talking about the sustainability and the actual environmental side of this industry. Like it's something that we should all hold our heads very high and proud when we talk about what we're actually doing for the environment and, and the sustainability of of forestry and that I mean it's one of the easiest greenest products that you can build with and and bring to the market and at the end of the day it doesn't take 65 million years to grow a tree mm -hmm. so I I think that it's a sustainability side that we have to continue to focus on and and do a better job at yeah well Chris we can spend hours talking about this but I think it warrants a separate episode so I would like to move forward with other issues affecting our industry, such as you mentioned this before, the cost pressures and general inflation globally. So in light of this, what are the main concerns for sawmillers and loggers going forward in 2023? For sure. I mean, for everybody listening, I mean, 2023 is going to be a year where you're going to have to focus on your margins, focus on your rates. So that'll be, you know, uh, what you're what you're selling your product to the market for for the contractors? What are you what are your costs and 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 what are you uh, being paid to harvest? The question is going to be you know are 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 you getting a fair price or a fair rate for the product or service that you're you're putting out to the market? Uh, the second focus should be your costs. So are you minimizing your costs where where possible? Are you focusing on uh, spending the right money in the right place? And, and really just don't save a dollar in one place if it's going to lose you $4 somewhere else, but being smart about your, your costs and your expenses. The third thing I think really, and this is, this is a trend that has been ongoing for a good number of years, but needs to continue on is going to be efficiency. So what we're going to see in markets like we're predicting for 2023 is that the efficient will prevail and the inefficient will go the way of the dinosaur. What everyone has to do, be it a mill owner or a contractor, is sit back and figure out what are you going to do differently in 2023 to get a better result. You, you can't rely on a high revenue anymore from, from high markets on, with your sales. It's, it's going to be tighter. It's going to be more competitive. So you know how can you become more efficient? 
the you know the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and what we actually have to do is step back and change what we're doing to get that different result so mm -hmm. i think that those will be the big focuses on on 2023 for for mill owners and contractors wow that's really great i hope our listeners are taking notes but in case they aren't i'm going to repeat the three focus for 2023 that you mentioned first our margins the second one are costs and the third one is efficiency so that's really great. Um, similarly, what opportunities are out there for the industry in 2023? So we hear about a lot about mass timber, uh, smart packaging, bioproducts. Are these segments promising or are there any other segments that are, you know, we should hear more about in 2023? There are so many cool and innovative ideas out there with uh, wood fiber-based products that are in development or just coming to the market. I mean, uh, it, it, it on itself could be a, a whole new another episode, um, but uh, I'll try to I'll try to keep it short. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, there's so many products out there that are showing tremendous promise. The, the, the issue is most face the same barriers to entry. You know, it's securing the fiber source, trying to develop and access markets to sell to. But many can further that green forced image that I was mentioning earlier with the industry. And the key to the, a lot of them is they're using up a lot of the byproducts fibers that aren't traditionally used. So we're seeing folks that are able to take things out of the, the evergreen uh, branches and needles that traditionally were, were left on the forest floor after harvesting. Um, we're seeing a lot of that fiber that traditionally was junk fiber being utilized in a different way. And to be honest, as our our kind of our fiber profiles change in our various regions across Canada, there, there'll be a lot more products that utilize that kind of smaller wood that, that we're starting to see. Um, that's one of the big things in, in British Columbia is, you know, trying to move away from old growth. How can we maximize the value of our second growth harvest? Um, and is there different things that we can maximize it compared to just turning it into studs and sending it out the door? And 2023 will continue to have that that development and, and work through it. The challenge becomes is as saw log prices and lumber prices decline, it becomes less cost efficient to get some of those byproducts out of out of the, the, the woods. So it'll continue to be that the biggest limitation to innovation will be that securing of fiber and making sure you have the right fiber in the location you need it to do the innovative idea. Okay, so I would like to end this episode on a more positive note. And I would like to inform you, if you don't know yet, Chris, that CFI has just awarded the top 10 under 40 awards to young industry professionals across the country very recently. So in the 10 years that the magazine has been giving out the awards, this was the first time that there was an equal number of male and female awardees. And we also received a record number of nominations from coast to coast and a record number of female nominees too. So with this in mind and with all the innovative value-added forest products and other innovations in the industry, after being called for the longest time a sunset industry, is the forest industry finally becoming a sunrise industry, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the industry has a lot of promise and with with the right promotion and education, the right promotion on the environmental sustainability and, and unique products uh, that uh, can 
can be developed and, and maximize the fiber usage. Uh, I think it's an industry that we could all be proud to uh, one day have our children have careers in. Well, that's really great to hear. I look forward to seeing what happens in the next year. And thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And happy holidays. This podcast brought to you by MNP. MNP, wherever business takes you.